Did you hear about the clever salesman who closed hundreds of sales with this line? Let me show you something several of your neighbors said you couldn't afford. <coughs> a young woman asked for an appointment with her pastor to talk with him about a besetting sin about which she was very worried. When she saw him, she said, Pastor, I've become aware of a sin in my life which I cannot control. She said, every time I'm at church, I begin to look around at the other women, and I realize that I am the prettiest one in the whole congregation. None of the others can compare with my beauty. What can I do about this sin? And the pastor replied, Mary, that's not a sin. That's just a mistake. <laughs> Pride is a damaging thing sometimes that, that gets in our way. Um, for some people, pride causes arrogance. It's been said that, that pride is the only disease that makes everyone sick except for the one infected. Uh, Guidepost magazine said that God wisely designed the human body that we can neither pat our own backs nor kick ourselves too easily. Pride causes us to make bad decisions. Just ask general customers. Pride causes us to do things we wouldn't do, and pride sometimes causes us to live in ignorance rather than asking for education. That has a lot to do with why I felt led to this sermon series that we're in, this peeking at the presence. Pride sometimes keeps us asking for an explanation. For years, I would hear people talk about the red thread in the Old Testament. They would say the red thread, and I would go, yeah. And it was one of those things where I would just kind of, you know, when you hear a joke and everybody's laughing and you go, <laughs> and you have no idea what they're laughing about. But for years I was that way. I would walk around going, the red thread, okay, yeah, Jesus, Jesus is in there somewhere. But I was too prideful to say, show me. And so, so many of us get there, especially if, if we've been in church for a, a long time. We get to the point where we don't want to ask certain questions because we feel like, oh, well, everybody else seems to know. I've told you about my first class in the seminary. I walk in as an introductory class, and the first word the man puts on the screen is prolegomena. And I went, huh? And everybody else went, oh, yeah, he starts talking about prolegomena, and they're up here taking notes and shaking their head and agreeing and saying amen. And I'm going, what does that mean? And I was like, what does prolegomena mean? He said, oh, it means the first things. Oh, and everybody else in the class went, oh, and they're writing down. But nobody else went to ask. We, we find ourselves in that situation. And so as I heard about the Red Thread, as I prayed over what to do this, this year for Christmas, this idea of peeking at the presence, that Red Thread throughout the Old Testament is what came to me. And our reading this morning, we probably all heard it, and we've had a small understanding of it. And we possibly shook our head and went, yeah, and we really didn't get it at all. And we've heard Jesus refer to it. And our series really hopes to correct that. Um, today, we're actually going to be in the Exodus, the book of Exodus. It's a pivotal point in Israel's history. Jesus looks back on that when he makes an I am statement over in the book of John. He says, I am the bread from heaven. And so here we are looking this morning at the original bread that, that came from heaven there that we see over in the book of Exodus. And that point, they have come out of Egypt. They have crossed the Red Sea. They are moving toward a new life, and they're hungry, and they're afraid, and they're looking for how to live this new life. And they cry out to Moses about their fear for starvation. I mean, can you imagine? You've always lived in Egypt. They've always given you food because you're their workforce, so they have to feed you. They've got to make sure you've got something to eat and so you can do what you're doing. 
And Moses just said, come on, we're going to go into the desert. We're going to go. And we're going to walk to our new home. And so they're afraid of what's coming. And so they cry out to God and cry out to Moses. And God responds there in Exodus chapter 16. Starting in verse 35, we, we, we see what happens after God responds. And he says, so at evening quail came and covered the camp. In the morning there was a layer of dew all around the camp. And when the layer of dew evaporated, there were fine flakes on the desert surface, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they asked one another, what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. Moses told them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each person needs to eat. You may take two quarts per individual, according to the number of people each of you has in his tent. So the Israelites did this. Some gathered a lot, some a little. When they measured it by quarts, the person who gathered a lot had no surplus. And the person who gathered little had no shortage. Each gathered as much as he needed to eat. Moses said to them, no one is to let any of it remain until morning. But they didn't listen to Moses. Some people left part of it until morning and it bred worms and smell. Therefore, Moses was angry with them. They gathered it every morning. Each gathered as much as he needed to eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much food, four quarts apiece. And all the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He told them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. And set everything left over aside and be kept until morning. So they set it aside until morning as Moses commanded. And it didn't smell or didn't have maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is Sabbath to the Lord. Today you won't find any in the field. For six days you may gather, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Yet on the Sabbath, on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they did not find any. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and instructions? Understand that the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore on the sixth day he will give you two days worth of bread. Each of you stay where you are. No one is to leave his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. And the house of Israel named the substance manna. It resembled coriander seed, was white and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Two quarts of it are to be preserved throughout your generations. So they may see the bread I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. So Moses told Aaron, take a container and put two quarts of manna in it. Then he placed it before the Lord to be preserved throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron placed it before the testimony to be preserved. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate manna until they reached the border of the land of Canaan. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would be with us this morning, Father, as we look at this picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. Father, give us a greater understanding of the red thread this morning, that we know the presents that are coming, Father, that, that what you have showed us here. Father, use me as a vessel when the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and for his sake, and all God's people. Amen. So how is the man from heaven a picture of Jesus, the bread from heaven? Well, first and foremost, it's pretty easy. It's there in the title. They both come from heaven. They both come from heaven. Um, in verse 15, it says very, very plainly that that, that came from heaven, that God sent it down, that this was the, the bread the Lord has given to you. So both manna and Jesus are gifts provided directly from the throne of God to humans below. There's no mediator, no translator, 
Nothing else that needs to be done. Somebody else doesn't do it for you. It is, it is a gift given directly from God to man. A direct gift from the hands of God. I don't need somebody else to talk to Jesus for me. I talk to Jesus. I don't, and the Israelites didn't need somebody else to get their manna for them. They got their manna. It was a, it was a thing that happened. His very nature here is a heavenly one. One that, that you may or may not get from Jesus. I'm the bread from heaven. Manna is also the same source. Manna is temporary, though, and Jesus is eternal. Both gifts from God. That one's out of the way. That one's obvious. But they were also both similar to things they knew, but were also completely foreign. In verse 15, they literally said, what is it? This was a substance that was wholly unknown to them. Manna literally means, what is it? You know, in seminary, we, they gave us a lunch or chapel every Thursday or something like that. And there was just one dish that they made. We called it manna. Because you looked at it and we didn't know what it was. So it was manna. What do we have today? And even the professors got the one they would say it's manna. Because they didn't know what it was. But that was the Israelites. I mean, it looked, it looked familiar. There was some familiarity here. They didn't know what it was. But yet in verse 31, we see that it resembled coriander seed. And it was white. And it, and it tasted like wafers with honey. And it could be boiled. And so there was this familiarity. They, they understood kind of what it looked like and, and kind of what it was. But then it wasn't exactly what they thought it was. And so it was similar to things that they knew. But it was wholly, completely foreign. There was a familiarity here with this substance. But it wasn't like anything they'd ever seen. It was something that was completely different. In Philippians 2, we read, Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Jesus was something familiar. The Israelites knew God. And the Israelites knew man. There was some familiarity here. But it was wholly different because they had never met a God-man. They had never met a man who was God and both human 100% at the same time. It still boggles minds today. If you're a math teacher, that's one thing that really just, it's kind of hard to do 100% plus 100% doesn't equal. Because when you put 100 and 100 together, it shouldn't equal that way. But he was 100 and 100. He was both. And so it was completely unfamiliar to the Israelites. That is why we see what happens in the Gospels. The Jews didn't accept him because they thought they knew what he was. He was familiar. He was a man. And God is not a man. That's what the Israelites thought, right? That's what the Jewish people thought. God is not a man. The crime that they actually sacrificed him for was calling himself God because God is not a man and God doesn't have a body. The Bible tells us that. We know that. That was their thinking. What they were not prepared for is the totally unfamiliar God-man. They could not wrap their minds around it. It did not make any sense. And so manna was totally unfamiliar. They, didn't, they knew what coriander seed was. They knew what wafers were. They knew what that taste was. But yet they didn't understand how every morning when they woke up it was on the ground. They didn't get how, how all this would just show up. Where did it come from? What is it? I mean, when you have kids, there's a lot of things they pick up on the ground that you say, don't put that in your mouth. 
I mean, Israel had been in Egypt for hundreds of years. And they go out and they're worried about what they're going to eat. And they wake up the next morning and there's something that looks kind of like snow on the ground. You know, there's that old wise tale that you don't make snow ice cream at the first snow, right? Because it's dirty. That's the old wise tale. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. We don't get enough snow to find out. If it snows, I'll pick it up. Maybe ours is a little brown, but it's okay. That's where we are. But they, they, they're going, what is this stuff? It was totally unfamiliar. But also both Jesus and manna are all sufficient within themselves. They ate it for 40 years in the wilderness. That was their diet. We talked a few weeks ago about not being unthankful because they got tired of eating manna for 40 years. I understand. It would be easy to, to get tired of eating manna day in and day out. But that was their diet. It was their staple. They were given quail because they whined, but manna sustained them. It had all the nutrients that they needed. God could take that and, and, and keep them alive for 40 years. He didn't need to give them anything else. Jesus is all sustained spiritually. He completes and sustains every need that we have for grace, for, for, grace, for mercy, for fellowship, for love. Every spiritual need humans have, Christ provides. I don't need I don't need somebody else. There, there is this there is this trend today to take Jesus and marry him with a whole bunch of other spiritual stuff. Well, I'm going to follow Jesus because I like his teachings, but I'm also going to add in reincarnation. One of the latest pew Coles that has come out says that 20% of people who go to church believe in reincarnation. 20%. Or I'm going to take Jesus and I'm going to marry him with the things of Buddhism that I want to do. Or I'm going to take Jesus and I'm going to add to it the things that I learned from Islam. There's one class in seminary that I'm going to be in. Because me and the professor didn't get along. And I get along with everybody. <coughs> Mostly. <laughs> but when he began to teach that I need to take the things from these religions and use them to the best of my ability, what I could learn from them, he and I had a stark contrast. And so I could never tell him what he wanted to hear on the paper so he would never give me the grade that I knew I needed. But that's not what the Bible tells us. Christ is all sufficient. I don't need the things of Buddhism. I don't need the things of Taoism. I don't need the things of Confucianism. I don't need the things of Islam. I don't need the things of Hinduism. I don't need the things of anything else except for Christ. Because Christ fulfills every spiritual need that I can have. And he may fulfill that through, through fellowship with other believers, but he fulfills it using other people. He may do those things, but he is sufficient. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, we know the verse, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. 
Christ is all we need for our spiritual nutrition, just as manna was for the physical nutrition of the Israelites. But they were also both easily accessible. They just had to wake up and go outside and pick it up. Now, I don't know how often we complain about having to drive to town to get something to eat. Anybody else do that? Oh, I don't want to drive to Granberry. And I'm tired of Taco Casa. So, if, if I'm going to get something, I'm going to go to Granberry or whatever. I don't want to, you know, we, we, we end up that way. We, we sometimes are a lazy people. But God made manna so accessible that he brought you to the front door. Just have to wake up and go outside and pick it up. Just go get it. Just go use it. And Jesus is just as accessible. Jesus sent, God sent Jesus to earth 2,000 years ago. Instead of making us go to him, he came to us. Jesus is accessible. Chapter 1, verse 12 of John says, But all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Everyone. Now, let me be clear. I may preach that living the Christian life requires more than a nominal relationship with Jesus, more than a name-only relationship. I may say that being a Christian requires you to do more. I may declare from God's word that there will be a change that occurs that proves your salvation, but one thing I will never declare is that that relationship is hard to come by. That relationship is the easiest thing in the world. You just make the decision. Honestly, if we're telling the truth, you don't even have to walk the aisle and make the decision. Some of the greatest salvation stories I've ever heard didn't take walking the aisle. And they blew my mind when I found that out. Because how many of us are raised in church where we think salvation follows this pattern? You walk the aisle, you say the prayer, you get baptized, and you're a Christian. And I thought that completely until one little old lady. It's always a little old lady. I'm just telling you. It just rocks my world. Because she said, you know, Troy, because I was really young back then, I never walked the aisle except Jesus. I looked at her like, oh, are we fixing to, are you fixing to get saved? I mean, she's in her 90s. I'm like, okay. No, I never walked the aisle. She said, I went to the well to draw water one day, and when I saw the water come out of the pump, I knew I was saved. I knew I had made that choice. I knew that I was his, and I had given my life to him. She said, I told somebody about it. She said, but I didn't walk the aisle to do that. And I went, oh. And my 20-year-old mind went, <laughs> because I had never heard of that. I had never understood that. It's that easy to come to Jesus. He's the open door. He came to us so that we could come to him. God sent him to our front door. He, he, didn't, he didn't say, when you come to where Jesus is, then you can have him. No, he said, I'm going to send Jesus to you. I'm going to send you the way. I'm going to make this so easy that all you have to do is walk through the door. When we seek Him, we're promised, we will find Him. Finding Jesus and beginning a relationship with Him is easy. Living out that relationship could, should become a little bit more difficult. Things should change. But both the manna of the Exodus and the Jesus of Scripture are easily accessible to those who would go after them. You had no excuse for going hungry as an Israelite in the Exodus except if you didn't get up and go outside and pick the man up. 
That's the only excuse you can have. You have no excuse for not knowing Jesus except for the fact that you haven't taken the step to say, I want to know Jesus. That's the only excuse. But also, on each of these, each individual is responsible for their own need. In verse 21, each gather what they need. Mm. This wasn't something that some people said oddly by while others did the work. One of the greatest One of the greatest problems in churches from back here, well, from back here to today, is that some people do most of the work and some people do no work. I mean, Paul talks about that quite a bit when we read Thessalonians the other morning on our Bible reading where he said, each one should work. Each one should do what they can do. And so this with manna wasn't something where some people sat oddly by while others went out and did it. Each member of the community did what they could to get their need taken care of. And with Jesus, each individual has to take care of their own need. My mama can't do it. My sister can't do it. Only I can choose to follow Jesus. There are lots of people in this world who think they're believers simply because they have been going to church since nine months before they were born. They believe it. I'm always nervous when somebody, when I ask them what religion they are, and they say I'm a Baptist. Well, I'm a Christian. The flavor that I follow might be Baptist, but I'm a Christian. Because too many people who say I'm a Baptist, they were just in church all their life, and they never had that experience. Mama did. Grandma did. Brothers and sisters did, but I never really gave my life. And I've seen that often, so many times. We each have to make our own choice. But both of these also point to future blessings. Let me, let me read this verse and see if you get it. Verse 31. This thing is blowing me all over the place. I'm reading. The house of Israel named the substance man. It resembled coriander seed, was white, and tasted like wafers made with honey. You might get how that points to the future. The Israelites had been promised a land. Their future was going in to take over the land that had been promised to Abraham generations before. A land that is described as a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Every morning, every day, they were getting up and they were eating something that tasted like honey. A picture of the life they're supposed to be able to grab a hold of. Every morning they do this. And God has reminded them every day the taste of their future. Here is what's to come. This isn't it. You're not going to wander your entire life. You're not going to be stuck in this desert. There is something more coming. And to prove it to you, I'm giving you the stuff that you don't understand and that you don't, that you don't grasp, but you understand what it tastes like. And it tastes like honey. And I'm taking you to a land that flows with milk and honey. And it's going to be yours. And you're going to have it. But Jesus also does the same thing. He, he points us to future blessings. Yes, we have the blessing of the past that He's forgiven us of our sin. 
But we have the present blessing of life in Christ. But there is this future blessing of an eternity with God in a land that we can only imagine. It's a future blessing. And our life now should point us to the life then. It's very easy to get just, just stomped on with life, right? You know, Friday morning I, I posted my, my Bible verse. Right? And I told you my story about my van radio. It's out. In the... Uh, the dealership wants $2,500 for a radio. That ain't going to happen. I paid $3,000 for the bank, so. And I took it apart. Wednesday, Carrie was like, are you ever going to stop? Because I was out there all day long. Because to take that radio, you had to pull a whole dash out of that van and take it all apart. I took it apart. I brought the radio inside, and then she was upset because I had it on the kitchen table, and I was taking it apart. And I pulled it down to all the pieces. I mean, the circuit board was out of the radio. And I'm cleaning it up and getting it there, but there's some burnt spots and all this isn't going to work. So I put it back together just because, and I called Kevin over, and he was like, I don't know, it's automotive, so don't even ask me. And I'm like, well, okay, I'll try it on my own. I get it all back together, I said, well, before I buy one, let me try it. And I plug it in, and it works. And I'm sitting Kevin taking us, he says, look at this, woo-hoo, I mean, this is great. And then Thursday night, we drove to Grand Prairie to see some Christmas lights, and we finished the Christmas lights, and all of a sudden, we heard thump, thump, and it was gone. <laughs> Man, I was happy. But as I thought about it, that's not a big thing. It's not a big thing. It began to show me blessings. You know, we... <laughs> We had to, to sing on the way home. <laughs> it's my kids. It's the same choruses over and over and over again. Um, and we're on Facebook too much. So right now, Micah's absolute favorite song is Fancy Like. So that's all I ever hear. Um, but we had that family time because of it. And then we were going to grab something to eat on the way home and, you know, and it ended up being chips from Quick Trip, but that was okay too. Because it saved us a little bit of money. Um, just little things. The little things. And we can get bogged down in the little things. Or we can realize the blessings that are there and allow our life to look more like what's to come. We can be joyous in, in, in the trials. In 1 Corinthians 13, we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, he says, but then we shall see face to face. For now I know in part, but then I shall be known fully as I am fully known. Each day with Christ should be a taste of our future in Christ. We can't let ourselves be bogged down by the negativity of the world. We only see and experience Jesus in part now. Can you imagine? Now, there are times if you've experienced Jesus that you're like, Woo! if you haven't, come talk to me. There's something we've got to get going on there. Because Jesus is excited. 
can change your life. And he can change your world. And, and so we have to have that. And that's just a taste. That's just a taste of the things to come. Because one day, we're going to see him face to face. With all of this, though, how do we apply it to our lives? Okay, you're going, okay, that's great. How do we apply it to our lives? Well, first, these are all my thoughts. They gathered in the morning. Now, sometimes the picture of Jesus for me is more about our relationship with Jesus. Some people spend their time with Jesus at different times, but I believe this it gives a good case for starting our day with Jesus. They gathered in the morning because when the sun grew hot, it melted and they would be hungry. That's why they gathered in the morning. If they waited too late in the day, they would not be fed. And they would have to face the day hungry because God gave them what they needed daily. So while technically you can spend time with Jesus any time of the day, it's usually much more productive to spend your time with him at the beginning before the day gets hot and you start to melt. Because once you start to melt, you, you find yourself in trouble. Because if you get your spiritual nourishment in the morning, it prepares you for the trials of the day. But as the day wears on, you're no longer filling your reserves. You're trying to quickly fill an empty tank. You know, you, you got stuff going out, reserves going out, and you're going, oh, you're not just filling yourself up once you get to the end of the day. You know, if I wait until 3 o'clock in the afternoon to spend time with Jesus, and my day has gone like some of my days have gone, I'm trying to fill up something that I can't fill up because I'm still moving and I'm still going. I'm still doing what God wants me to do. Just as the Israelites would be hungry, we can find the day more difficult if we don't start our day that way. Also, they each gathered their fill. You know, some gathered more and didn't have extra. And some gathered little but had just enough. You know, our quiet time can become a source of pride. We might become like the Pharisees who would stand on the street corner and pray just to be seen. Or give their money in the coffers so it would ring so everybody would eat. Because the truth is, our time with Jesus isn't measured about with quantity, but with quality. One person may need an hour with Jesus. Somebody else may need ten minutes. And you may need different amounts on different days and seasons of your life. This isn't about how much time you spend. It's about following the Spirit's leading to the right amount of time. You can't have too much time with God. But the, the, the other side is also true. You can't have too little as long as you're having time with God. God will take the time that you brought to Him and that you spent with Him and use it for His glory and it will be enough if we just spend that time with Him. God will make it just right. Now this is an excuse to be lazy. It's very easy to start using excuses to be lazy, right? But this is an excuse. But it's, and it's, it's not also my excuse to let ourselves be prideful. We can't start saying, well, I spend time with God for an hour each Good for you. Good for you. But is it quality time? Because there are times where, in the past, where somebody would tell me that, and I would think, man, I'm just not spiritual enough. I'm just, I'm just not spiritual enough. An hour? So I would set a timer. And 15 or 20 minutes in, you know, I've read the Bible, I've prayed, I've sang songs, and I'm going, I've been listening in silence for five minutes. God, what else am I supposed to do for the next 45 minutes? I don't understand. And so I would waste 40 minutes. 
doing nothing because God wasn't speaking in that moment because my mind was not there anymore. Whereas if I take the 20 minutes that I know I'm focused and God is using, He uses that. And He fills it up. Of course, another thing we need to take away from this is the manna wasn't good the next day, right? In verse 20 it says, The next day the manna was filled with maggots. The leftover from the day before gave no nourishment and no value to the Israelites. That speaks to the necessity of a daily walk with Christ. I'm not saying that Christ is of no use tomorrow. It's the opposite. Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But our walk and what we receive from it are not. The strength you gain from Christ for today will sustain you today. Today. The Christ that you, that, that Christ, when He pours into you in the morning, in your quiet time, that's for that day. He wants you to come back the next day. He wants you to come back and be refilled. When you receive from Christ today, brings you blessings and strength today. Soon you're going to find that if you're working on yesterday's blessings, the strength begins to wane pretty quickly. The strength and nourishment you receive from Christ yesterday may not be sufficient for today's trials. Yesterday, you might have gotten up and it was an easy day and it was fine and... Man, you spent, you spent 30 good minutes with God and you read the Bible and you read your devotional and you prayed and you sang songs of praise and everything went great and you had a good breakfast and you, your day had no problems. But then the next morning you get up and man, it's all falling off the rails immediately. And you don't get to eat breakfast and you didn't spend any time with Jesus and somebody calls and they're sick and yeah, you, you have a wreck of the car and then you have two flat tires in your other car and you can't get where you need to go and things are just falling apart and, and you're still trying to hold on to the strength that Christ gave you yesterday and that might not be getting you through it. So you find yourself where I was with my radio. <laughs> Guys, I, had, I was still trying to hold on to yesterday. Okay. And I, you know, I wasn't saying thank you, Jesus. I did not want to say thank you, Jesus, for a broken radio. But then when you turn to Jesus, something changes. When you skip a couple of days, you find yourself lagging, right? The manna in the wilderness was useless the next day. They had to, they had to get the fill daily. Jesus fills us daily. But if we're not going to him to be filled, we have to find ourselves lacking in provision for the next day. Each day we have to be walking with and being filled and nourished by Jesus. And so that's how he set it up for us. To walk daily with him so he'd give us daily what we need. The picture Jesus was painting of himself as the bread from heaven is, is this rich, deep picture. This idea of the easily available gift from God that supplies every need. I hope we walk away from this because God doesn't put this stuff in here by accident. He doesn't put manna in there just because, well, I need to feed them something. Because he showed us that he could have taken the unleavened bread they walked out with and just multiplied it for 40 years. That's what he could have done, right? I mean, because Jesus could take those few loaves and few fish on the hillside and feed those 20,000 people. God could have just been taking that bread and every day just gave them more unleavened bread. But that's not what he did. He painted a picture of what was to come. And in that picture, we see a daily need for a relationship with the bread of God. We need daily nourishment. We need to hold on to that day. Maybe this morning, you've been like me and life has been busy and there are times you get up and I shouldn't have time this morning and so you put it off and you find yourself lagging. 
You find yourself snipping at people in your house, or you find yourself griping and complaining because of your car, or because of your job, or because of your kids, or whatever else it is that you're complaining about. Because we all complain about stuff. We all have those things that, that come at us. Maybe you've been there. Today's the day to give it back and say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to take care of the need daily. You'd be amazed how much different your life would be. Maybe this morning you want to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to serve admissions, ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe this morning you've never known Jesus as your Savior. And you're not sure how. Come on down and talk to me. Or find me after church and talk to me. And we'll go from there. But wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to Him. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now. We thank you. We praise you for your blessings.